All right, hey guys, hope you all are having a fantastic day. I'm Adita Duan, and welcome to the first episode of the Three Bucket Podcast. Now, here we're going to be breaking down philosophy, emerging technologies, and self improvement content. And on today's first episode, we have a very special friend of mine, Kevin Liu, and we'll be dissecting what failure really means and how to overcome it. So, Kevin, want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. So a really quick intro, my name is Kevin, I'm currently a 16-year-old innovator at the Knowledge Society and I'm currently working on a bunch of different projects within the realm of artificial intelligence and content creation among many others that I'm currently interested in. And yeah, I'm super excited to sort of dive into sort of what failure early is and break them down into the different concepts behind it. Yeah. Now, I mean, this, this might be a kind of a stupid question to ask, but like, have you ever experienced failure? I mean, we've all experienced it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So particularly around that side of things. I think even just like this afternoon, actually, I think the best example of failure would be where I initially think I actually missed a really quick deadline for one of just requirements for one of my ventures. And on that front, I think actually I ended up getting a really quick like demotion or pulled away from a nomination for an award. And I think that was just like a stark reminder of how important it is sometimes to really stay on the ball and whatnot. But yeah, that's a great example, even just like this morning, but. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I find it kind of interesting how like failure will always strike you when you least expect it. Like everything's going perfectly fine then it's a bloody meltdown the next second. Yeah, no, for sure. I think falling into that sort of bucket, like it can really come at unexpected times and I think that's when it sort of like stings the most, right? And then like, if you think about it really from the perspective of like, what is failure? Like I think it's like in definition, failure is just like the delta between what you initially expected or like what you wanted the outcome to be and then what actually happened, right? And like, if that failure is really big, uh, the delta between those two would be insane. Yeah. And then specifically like on the ends of like failure, right? Like every single failure, like you mentioned, or like, like we previously talked about before, is just like a huge learning opportunity, right? And just like coming back and bouncing back strong is really, really important. Yeah, 100%. That's an interesting way to put it. Failure is like the delta between what happens and what you want. That's cool. And I guess if we like go according to that definition, then success would be overcoming that delta, making like that staircase almost of climbing up step by step. Yeah, that's cool. So here's actually a thought that I want, just wanted to put out there. What do you think failure really is? Because if you take like someone insanely successful like Elon Musk, right? For him, probably losing $10 billion or having like, I don't know, $150 billion left in his bank account would be, might be considered a failure, right? But I mean, for most of us on this planet, I think, <laughs> I don't really think that would be anywhere close to that. So, I mean, failure, I think really is relative. Like what is the concrete definition of failure? Like, how can we even put it into words if it's so relative? It's really interesting because, like, on one hand, like you mentioned, Elon Musk, like, losing $10 billion, like, even might possibly, like, it really depends on the individual, right? Like, on his perspective, maybe actually losing that $10 billion wouldn't be an issue, right? Because, simply because of the amount of wealth that he has, or even, like, because of what specifically the failure was, or, like, if he lost $10 billion, like, in an investment, or, like, in a sort of, like, a research type of thing in terms of R&D, like depending on like the use case or depending on the specific scenario, I actually think like relative, relatively speaking, like you really can't sort of like put that one encompassing sort of like lens on like what failure is on a broad scale. It really comes down to like the individual level, right? 
And beyond that, I don't really think that there's anything that I personally think that you can really dive deeper into. Yeah, 110%. Like, that actually reminds me of um, an example, right? Is that I think last year, like at least before, uh, before most of us joined the Knowledge Society, TKS, if you guys don't know what that is. So basically, like, I remember that my streak of like working out, right, I think was around five to six days. And for me, getting off of that was considered like an absolutely huge failure. It's like, oh no, the entire world's dead, whatever, I have to restart, right? But now it's like you have a streak of a couple months, right? So if you break it, there are two ways you can interpret it. Once, one is, holy shit, I broke a six-month streak, I'm dead. Or the second one is, I've been working out for six months, I've missed one day, but you know what, screw it, I can get back on because I know I can do it, right? And it's just like that one little interpretation can make such a huge difference. Absolutely, it's definitely about the lens of like perspective, right? And the way you think about things and the mindset. If you really treat every single little thing as like something that's a huge failure and like you let it set you back, I don't think that's like the best way to look at it, right? It was like really trying to apply the lens of anti-fragility and like bouncing back once you experience different failures, or like even potentially like getting to a point where you become like more resilient in terms of the failure itself, where things don't really affect you. That's like I think the end goal. Yeah, hundred and ten percent. I guess if you're looking at it from that lens, you can control how much you fail. Like if something happens, the interpretation's all in your head. You can say I didn't fail at all, and just keep on living your life. You can say, holy shit, I failed so much, I'm never gonna do this shit again, and like derail it. Or you can have like, I guess the healthy middle ground, where it's like, okay, shit happens, shit went wrong, but you know what, this is what I can do to fix it. Like, I feel like, yeah. That's definitely for sure, like, in terms of controlling how much you fail or how much you think you fail, uh, I actually, at the end of the day, like right now, I just, I don't care. Like after like 10 <laughs> seconds, it's like, okay, uh, great, I missed this. Uh, okay, I'm missing this like nomination, like missing this, like whatever, whatever it is. Um, I actually like at the end of the day, I just don't care enough because like in the bigger scheme of things, like me being sad or talking about it, like isn't actually gonna like change anything. And then on top of that, it's just like wasting time that I could be allocating to like other things that I want to be doing. That's like the next step in terms of like, the big grand vision. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of interesting though. Like if you look at the way that society is kind of structured today, it's like if someone fails, like even with some of my close friends, right? If they fail at something, I feel like a lot of times it's not how can I get better? It's okay, I'm gonna run as far as I possibly can from that problem and then just never look at it again. And it's just like, bro, you're missing out on so much opportunity like that. Like, I don't understand. I think specifically in terms of like avoidance, that's actually a big one. And I think I can like specifically talk about this more so like in terms of something that had previously happened a few months ago. So on that front, there was just like a low, low period where everything was going to shambles and I can't like really talk about like the different specific details within it, but there was like different like things that were happening in the realm of, uh, I guess, even just like personal development um, in terms of like my own like health as well, but then also surrounding that with a bunch of different issues within different relationships I was having. And on that front, like everything crashing down at once, I think I sort of like let that overwhelm me or like overtake me. And then I sort of like just like went and ran away from the problem. And instead of actually like fixing it, I would just like seek instant gratification, like sort of like procrastinate my time away, or like even just like dodge it by avoiding to think about it. And then over time, it started like eat up a lot of my just internal sort of mental health and like self-esteem and different 
things within that bucket. And because I didn't address it earlier enough, I wasted the time within that period, but then also like it actually made it much harder to sort of adjust. So the aspect of decreasing the amount of time that you sort of spend like wallowing in the failures or the, like the failures per se, but yeah, like trying to reduce that and trying to actually minimize the effect that it has in your life is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love the fact that you use like um whatchamacallit? Like that you use the fact that it lets you sorry, that you let failure like affect you. In a way it's like it implies that you have full control over how much you let it affect you. If you want it to affect you as zero or a scale of one to ten, you can basically choose how much you want it to affect you. I think that's pretty cool. Like in this day and age, like especially in the school system, that's something I haven't really noticed. It's like it's just completely insane. I mean, we can come back to that, but for now, what do you think would be the importance of failure? Like, why, why fail? If there was a world where we can all just be successful 110% of the time, couldn't, wouldn't we all just do it? Yeah, it's, it's definitely really interesting to think about because when you're talking about the importance of failure, like you mentioned, if we don't fail, like on one hand, you're like, okay, not failing is great because they're like all go lucky, happy. But then, like, in the moments of actually failing, like, it just sucks, A, it hurts, <laughs> B, and then also C, it actually allows you to remember those experiences. Like, it, re- it allows you to, like, actually be in the dumps and then sort of, like, experience those up and downs, like, where just, like, life in general is just a bunch of different roller coaster rides. So, on that front, like, that, that's great and all, and, like, the three core pillars of, like, the importance of failures, I think it really comes down to that. But there's also this sort of concept that I've been thinking through about how you can really try to le- learn from other people's failures, right? And like try to actually avoid falling into the same traps yourselves. But based on like conversations I had with other like amazing entrepreneurs and CEOs and like different people, they've also said that sometimes you actually need to experience those failures yourself before you can actually like understand like truly the meaning or lessons behind it. So just like having that third person sort of perspective or like having people tell you their failures like might be helpful to some extent but it actually sometimes requires you to actually experience them yourself yeah 110 percent. if you really think about it failure is just a survival mechanism right like go back what twenty thousand years when we were all cave people and everything is that if you fail at finding food for a day the consequence isn't oh i learned to find food the consequence is you're dead <laughs> right like those people didn't li- really live on so i mean it makes sense that in, th- in this day and age, like if you experience failure, like there's no rebounding because in traditional times, you're, you're just dead. Like you didn't live long enough to understand the importance. So from an evolutionary standpoint, it kind of makes sense, right? And once again, those that did survive were ones that are like, okay, I failed at finding it today. How can I do it next time? Like, how can I find better resources next time? I guess depending on your definition of survival, right? Or not even surviving, like thriving, those who are thriving today are the ones who are taking all of their past failures and instead of working for them and being slaves to them, both emotionally and physically, they're being, the ma- they're being their masters. They're squeezing every last drop of value out of their failures and using it to propel-, propel them forward to basically insane heights. Like, I know I mentioned Elon Musk a lot and I mean, I'm an Elon Musk fanboy, but you know what, whatever. <laughs> but like, in terms of Musk, like in 2008, when Tesla and SpaceX were both crashing down, like that, any other person, like including myself, probably anyone who isn't like experienced in the field would probably have just not moved forward. 
Like just straight, like that's insane. Imagine having to choose between one or two companies with basically 0% probability that any of them will succeed. And they still do. Like, I'm just thinking like an alternate reality where he did actually quit. Like but there, there would be basically no SpaceX and Tesla right now. No, you're right. Absolutely. And I think like failure is probably a prerequisite for innovation if you think about it then. Like you need to sort of have those iterations and like even companies, right? Like you, you have p- companies that just like pivot in terms of their idea. And like when, when something is going wrong, like you either you change or you just die. That's it. And like it's that at the end of the day, that's all it is. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. And it's actually interesting, like with innovation, you need to break a core assumption about the world to make an innovation, right? Like, uh, I don't know if you know Astro, like the dude behind Google X, like the moonshot factory thing, like he, yeah, he has a lecture. I think someone sent it to me the other day. Like it's basically around what innovation is. And one of the first things he says is that if you have no story and you aren't breaking a core assumption, it's not an innovation. Like innovations need at least one miracle to happen. (laughs) <laughs> or else they're not innovations. I mean, the extreme side is two miracles is one too many, but zero miracles is also like not really innovative. That's like 10% as opposed to 10x. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff, good stuff. Really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that there's a meaning to life without failure? Or do you think failure is kind of what gives it meaning? The fact that you can like, that it can all come burning down at any point. <laughs> <laughs> Like, on one hand, I would say that without failure, everyone would just be blobs and, like, <laughs> you just won't really want to, like, really sort of do things. You'll just, like, be a con- you, you'll be, like, a, at a constant sort of state of, like, I wouldn't say, like, like, I would more so say just, like, being elated, right? Like, you would just be stagnant. You would simply just be still. Um, and, like, that would potentially even cause, like, a lack of motivation per se uh, where so like as a result then like after that, if everything succeeded then i don't know actually like what the world would look like so, for example like if someone wanted to build a company and that just automatically succeeded like wh- how would the systems sort of play a part in that or like if someone just like wanted to supposedly say like in school like you can just like automatically just not do anything and just like achieve that like 100 percent or whatever like i think in the in the current systems that we have and in terms of like what the world looks like today, I don't think not having failure is a possibility. Yeah, 110%. Like, what's the point of a dream then, right? Like, if you look at conventional wisdom today, it's like, oh, follow your dream, follow your passion. But then if you don't fail and you can just straight up achieve the dream, then like what? There's no value. It's like inflation. The reason that money has value is that there's a certain amount of it. Otherwise, if if everyone had a billion dollars, then it's, it's worth nothing, basically. So in that context, success yeah. would be like it. Su- success would be like that. If there's no work required to be successful, and everyone is just achieving 110% no work required, I mean, other than the fact that people like David Goggins would have an absolute heart attack, <laughs> you would also have the fact that, like, that no one would have any dreams. Like, okay, you want to become an astronaut? Boom, you're an astronaut. Okay, uh, this this is cool. Uh, it's like, what's next, man? You can literally achieve anything. Yeah. Which, in theory, like, with amount, like enough sort of, like, work that you put in and then combining that with a bunch of different other things as well that, are, like, are other external factors, like luck or, like, serendipity, 
or like different things that come play as part of the equation like success would just like depend right yeah, yeah. it's interesting to think about yeah would you think that success is like luck failure or just pure hard work or maybe a combination and if so like what percent of each do you think contributes to the final thing I I can't like exactly say because like in terms of in my mind like I actually don't think I would ever be considered like successful and like what even does success mean right like in terms of achieving like that conventional sort of like success in any bucket I would say like there's a a sort of like formula right like you have the sort of like hard work times luck times like unfair advantages and then times serendipity or like even just like addition or like in terms of any like sort of like mathematical uh sort of like terms that you could use to like add things together but like it's sort of like a combination of all four and then you put that together and then you make like a magic sort of formula and potion and then that sort of comes out and then sometimes success it, it would achieve success or sometimes it might, might not right like so for example like the luckiest person could just not really put in enough like much work and then just like achieve a fantastic result in like in any specific scenario but someone else could like put in a lot of hard work and be really inefficient with the way they approach it they could get unlucky their timing isn't right and they, ha- they don't have like any, any under and any unfair like advantages so then that results in maybe just them not having that success in whatever bucket they're trying to aim for but yeah that's interesting to think about yeah the most successful people are people who have both they get lucky in some contexts they have an unfair advantage and I mean, unfair, I mean, a lot of people listening to this are just going to be like, unfair advantage, I was right. See, I'm not successful because, you know, I don't have any advantages. I'm not rich. Haha, I can just sit on my bed and just scroll through Instagram 24-7. No, no, no. Like, like unfair advantages. I'm actually talking about, like, specifically, like, for example, if you have, like, an insane skill in XYZ, yeah. or, like, if you have an ability to leverage, like, resources, or, like, if you have amazing, just, like, friends that surround you, or if you have, like, amazing sort of networks that you can tap into... Like anything, actually. Like I would say that everyone ha- has at least like one unfair advantage in something, yeah. right? And then it just like comes to trying to extract that those unfair advantages and like leveraging them. And yeah, like for example, like if you've taken, like let's just say like if you've taken piano lessons for like ten years, like you have an unfair advantage. <laughs> like if that you're like probably good to some extent, yeah. like you could probably leverage that to turn it into something else, right? That's just an example. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what, yeah, that's what you really mean by unfair advantage, right? Is that it doesn't need to be something that's like, just straight up out of a movie, like, oh, you have superpowers, that's your unfair, like, it takes time to develop it. And I guess that's another thing is that one of the main points is that if you really don't have any unfair advantages, which I mean, in this day and age, it's I, I don't think it's that uncommon. Like there are, I think, some people who don't genuinely have any skills. But like, What's I think more important is if you have the ability and the will to acquire those unfair advantages, that will that's what's make you, uh, making you successful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like the quicker you can acquire those unfair advantages. Because I mean, having one or two, I think everyone has one or two unfair advantages, right? Like you might have something, you might be like a god at bowling or something, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's valuable. I mean, unless you're seriously good and like can win a championship or something (laughs) but yeah like i guess just in that context like do you think that there's a way to teach mastering unfair advantages good question 
Neil Men, what do you think? But like, like yeah, like what, what do you think? Because in my mind, I think developing unfair advantages just comes to like probably putting in the time and just like leveraging that and trying to go at it and sort of like if you don't have an unfair advantage, just develop it. It's like figure out a way that you can sort of create a plan. And then, I think that's just like the only component behind it. Yeah, that's definitely one thing. Like, just speaking from my personal experience, like, uh, as you know, like, both of us are in the AI kind of space and everything like that. Like, I was, when I was starting out, like, a year, I started out um, working in AI, like, a couple months before TKS, like, you know, when the quarantine thing started. Like, regardless of the amount of time I was putting in, I saw basically no results. Like, for the first 65 or so hours of just AI, there's no results, right? And then you have to sit back and think like, holy shit, other people put in 10 hours and they can get like 10 times the results that I'm getting, but I'm putting in six times the time. So, you know, like what's up? And I think, I think that's probably one of the things that people kind of misunderstand about success. It's like, even if you have hard work, even if you get lucky, none of those things matter unless you have a novel or good approach. Like, the thing you're working towards needs to be valuable too, right? Like, if, once again, okay, I need to seriously need to stop using Elon Musk as an example. You know what? I'm going to take Bill Gates. Why not? If Bill Gates decided to, like, I don't know. If he was just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to come up with a startup idea in one month. And they didn't see, like, I think the computer on the on the window screen and decide that they're going to write basic for it. And they decided to, like, go into the grocery chain or something and revolutionize that space. I mean, sure, it might have been bloody amazing and they might have put in 10,000 plus hours, but it's useless if the idea should. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, have you ever experienced anything like that? Where it's, just, where it's just like, oh my god, my approach is messed up and it just hits you. Like I'm doing the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, I think the best example of this would be trying to overcommit and then do a lot of things unwell or like mediocrely. Yeah. Well, if that's the right term for it, and then instead of like actually focusing on like a core set of things that like would drive the most value, like pick like maybe in just like three, right, and like really dive in and get really, really good at that. Yeah, I think that's probably like one of the be- biggest like sort of like similar mindsets or like similar situations that I can think of straight off the top of my head. Yeah, overcommitting, man, bro. It's just like I think that's also a symptom of lack of patience. Like, you're attacking one thing, it's like, holy shit, this isn't working, ah, oh my god. And it's like, okay, you know what, let me just pile up six or seven other things, and all of them will probably, might succeed, but in reality, you just decrease your probability of succeeding even more. Like, sure, they're, sure you're diversified, like, it's the same, it's kind of like investing, actually. Like, if you treat your time, investing your time, like you treat investing your money, then you, I don't think anyone would make half the investments they make. Yeah. Like, people just, like, don't really value time. And, like, I think it's really easy to do that because then, like, society, sort of, like, since you're, like, a kid, like, for example, even school, uh, like, it's not necessarily taught in school, right? Yeah. And then, like, it's that, that sort of compounds over time. And, like, people sort of like, don't really maybe even have, like, a set value in terms of, like, money, money, like, wise, in terms of, like, how much your time is worth, potentially. Um, so, yeah, it's like, definitely really interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting point. The fact that school doesn't teach you, like... Time, not. I mean, it does teach you time management, but it doesn't teach you time effectiveness. Yeah. Like it teaches you how to get the most done, but it doesn't teach you what you should be doing. If you know what I mean. 
Yeah, no, like, I think as well, even then, like, maybe potentially it just doesn't even touch on that at all, at all because, like, there's, like, more important, Im- quote-unquote important curriculum, like, the different, like, subject areas and, like, trying to, like, yeah. So, it's definitely really interesting to think about. Yeah. What's your opinion on the school system? Like, d- do you think it's uh, valuable or... Yeah, like... Okay, so I want to first start off with a point like that, like Ontario, like here in Ontario, like both me and you are like here in Toronto and like we're here in like just like the GTA area and like the Ontario school system, Canadian school system is like legit, it's actually amazing, it's like one of the best in the world, right? Yeah. And like specifically in terms of developing core competencies and like developing good knowledge in like different subject areas, it's amazing. I think there, there's definitely though, there's like a lot of gaps that exist within it. Yeah. Um, and I think until the, those are really solved, I think I, like school by itself in nature just like prompts you to sort of pursue like a traditional traditional career path, and like it just really is the conventional path, and like it decreases the chance of achieving like anything else other than the basic career paths that like you've been told ever since you're a kid, like doctor, lawyer, engineer, like whatever. Um, and yeah, like I, I think it doesn't really promote sort of the other options that really exist and like you really are only limited to like the most common sort of buzzwords and like you're like your friends are like okay what university you want to go to like yeah. you're in high school like so like what ma- what thing do you want to major in like i think it's like that's like a probably just like it sort of limits you right yeah. and given how like school also then takes a lot of time once you advance in like higher grades like i really wish that like i've actually started on just a different interest of mine like earlier on in high school instead of just like filling it with like useless extracurriculars um or whatnot right so yeah like i think the biggest component behind that like it's just like the biggest funnel is just trying to get university get you into sort of like the sort of like rat race or like traditional corporate world which i've like sort of been shying away from um but yeah it's like definitely really interesting to think about yeah you bring up an interesting point like this i think the system i mean first of all there's going to be gaps in any system like, even, even if we, like, completely revolutionize the school system, we're teaching completely new things, then those new things become the conventional path. Then you have the same problem over and over again, right? I think, I think just two points here, like, one would be that in order for the system to be successful, it needs to have, like, a little thing inside it which makes it fix itself repeatedly. Right? And not, like, government officials being like, oh, I think we should change it. Like, I don't, I don't think that's honestly effective. Because by the time you realize that a change has happened, it's probably too late, <laughs> right? So I think maybe something in the school system which promotes looking for things that aren't taught. Like maybe just one or two courses that are just all about, exp- like not, not civics and careers, right? Like I'm, <laughs> that, that, I think we can just agree that that doesn't work <laughs> for its purposes. But like something different that would, for, not necessarily for students, but get them to think that, okay, this is how you've been living. But what do you think is the best way to live, right? Like forcing them to ask these questions that will kind of act as a forcing function to reevaluate their life and understand where they want to go. And I think like, I feel like the entire experience is based on your teacher. Like if you get in a teacher who I guess respects your opinion and has like amazing knowledge, then honestly, it's like the jackpot. Right, but I think more often than not is like a common experience that it's not necessarily always the truth. Like just this past quadmester, I had a teacher who, we, like, we were talking about the same issue, 
And one of the points he brought up was that the school system doesn't change society, it just reflects it. It's like a mirror for what's happening, right? Like, if you look at what's happened in the last 20 years, and how the system has changed, if something's happened in the real world that's changed our assumptions, that's reflected in the school system, but not changed. So, like an example of this, like if you look at recent awareness, right, about uh, things like LGBT, LGBTQ communities, feminism, that kind of thing, right, which is obviously a hundred and ten, that's good. That's a good thing that should have happened a long time ago. And because of that, school started reflecting that, right? It gets reflected through government policy, through people's opinions, and that's kind of what happened. But on the flip side, you can look at a negative implication of that, is that there's also more of a conventionality aspect nowadays. And I feel like this is now more than ever, right? Because I feel like the value of college degrees are going down as more as are, as more are issued. Yet at the same time, previous generations who grew up with degrees being valuable are kind of like, not necessarily pressurizing, but they're the ones in power, right? So because of that, schools reflect it, which is kind of an interesting proposition. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's definitely really interesting to think about, right? Like, I think that's like, completely true as well right so that's definitely something like really being sure that like as part of the next generation like no matter who you are that's listening sort of like the the, the thought process i'm thinking about is like okay, how can we actually sort of think about the ways that we can build upon the existing system yeah. to then propel it forward and like having a course that would like just like force you to ask the questions that really need that you really need to ask and like level yourself up and like not follow that sort of conditional traditional sort of pathway and even like, just, like applying the mindsets that you should really be adopting as part of your everyday life to sort of achieve that unconventional sort of success that some people just like might might want right and another portion i think as well though i, I do agree that like the school system is like flawed in some categories but it, it's achieving the purposes yeah. that it's been set out to do like based on like what how it's built and like based on like what it's currently producing like it's achieving the goals yeah. that it's about to do. Like it's the goal of the like elementary and like second system is to try and take that and then take these students and then get them into university. And then once that's done, like it's out of their reach and the scope. And then also like the universities are trying to get you jobs and then that's it. Like beyond that, it's like, okay, you're then confined to like uh, some sort of workspace for like the next like 40, 50 years. Yeah. And you're like, why not even enjoy it? Right? So yeah, it's like, it, the, it's achieving the sort of goal it's wanting to do, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's the scary part, right? Like if you're a government official in charge of school, the point of the system isn't, the point of the system is basically just create employees for the workforce, right? Like that's, that's why universities have so many specializations, right? It's like you need an adequate amount of people to be funneled into each one. And I think uh, for those of you who don't know, like right before this in TKS, we have things called challenges, right? So for this past one, the United Nations came in, and they're kind of just like, okay, we want you guys to help us improve female digital literacy globally, right? Just like digital literacy, but like education as well. Like yeah, probably definitely. Just like building on top. So that was like a really valuable challenge. And like both me and Addy were working on sort of, and two others, JB and <clears throat> Anurash, like we were just sort of breaking down, like what are the core problems exi that exist in the world and like different areas and like different markets and different regions. And like, for example, we settled on like Rwanda specifically and we explored like the different gaps that exist there, right? And like the contrast, like if you were to compare it to like someplace like Canada here, like the gaps are enormous. Like just like how lucky we are to sort of have 
a robust exist, like existing education system that we have here. But like approaching it from sort of like going in and building things from the ground up and like providing a recommendation, that was definitely really interesting as well. So like yeah. it's it's really enlightening to see like the different ways that you can look at things and then go from there. But like uh, beyond the beyond like conversations beyond this, I, I really don't think that we can currently like beyond just like trying to induce like policy to change things up and try to advocate. I really don't think that there's anything like that we can do. So yeah, it is what it is. That's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like the TLDR of the entire school debate. And what's interesting is that the reason that I brought like the challenge aspect up is that if you look at Rhonda right now, right, one of the main problems that we found as we were diving deeper into it was the fact that these guys have tons of infrastructure, but the problem is that not enough people inside universities are specializing into communications, technology, etc. Right? Even even if they are, they're all going kind of like the same common routes, right? Like, if you look at the University of Waterloo, they have dozens of special specializations, right? Like, you have AI, you have things like mechatronics and other completely insane things, right? And the point is that if you have enough people specialize into each industry, you get experts. And if you get experts, they advance the field, more money for the economy, growth, etc. And I think that's a very inter interesting theme, is that, one, is that this entire system is very new, right? It's economic growth as a whole is so insanely new like if you were living 5,000 years ago in a random village bro you expected that your grandchildren's lives were much much worse than they were currently like there the economy was in a current state of either stagnation or it was either being pillaged by some neighboring country and for the first time we have a thing where if the economy isn't growing or if it grows slightly less than it does did last year then it's like a public outcry, like, oh, the GDP only grew like 1% this year, oh no, and it's like, the fact that it's growing at all is, like, from a, for, uh, from a perspective of human history is a bloody miracle. Like, which, and that's something that was very surprising to me, like, this was mentioned in Homo Deus, which was one of the books of uh, Yuval Noah Harari, check it out if you guys haven't, but that's, that's kind of what it's talking about, and just based off of that, like, it makes sense that even though the degree is just a paper that we place value on, the fact of the matter is that if you don't participate in it, then you're unlikely to get far, right? Like, it's not it's not just a matter of, oh, the school system's bad, I'm gonna drop out. Like, yeah. that's, yeah, that's obviously not going to result in l anything unless you're some sort of, like, genius. Yeah, no, 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 like, beyond that, I think just, like, to wrap this whole thing up, the whole debate is, like, keep going to school, just, like, leverage, yeah. if you have access to, like, amazing schooling system that is, like, in developed nations, just keep going, uh, until, like, you sort of find, like, A, if you find sort of, like, a better purpose that you could be doing with your time, and you, like, you see an actual, like, ambition in mind that you want to create for yourself, by all means, I guess, like, do, do what you did, and, like, do what you want to do. Um, don't take, don't like, don't reflect. I'm, I'm not like telling you to do anything. It's just like, yeah. it's just like my thoughts. Um, so don't just like quit school because of me. But like, yeah, I think as well. I'm probably most likely also so gonna head down the university path, like whatever college mm -hmm. path, because of the fact that I want to sort of meet amazing people and like sort of like network yeah. with people as well. That then I could sort of connect and sort of build amazing stuff with. Um, but yeah, like I'm, yeah, so yeah. definitely is like, follow the path and whatnot, but try to like really have in mind what the purpose of your path is. Yeah, definitely. The important thing is not necessarily like going out of school, but like being aware 
that there is another world and not being confined to it. So if you have like an idea or you think that, okay, I want, I want to achieve this goal, you don't need to wait for school to teach that to you. Don't necessarily drop out, but find that like you have the bloody internet nowadays. You can learn literally anything that's not extremely hands-up. Like you, to, to some extent, you still can't learn like how to do a surgery online. Like that, we don't have the technology to do that, right? But if you have a skill that you need to learn, if you want to develop a high income skill, you can do that outside of school. And you can, and what's interesting is that we can use that skill to perform better in school. And yeah, I think that's like the TLDR of that debate. So what do you think are some tips that the viewers can take away to embrace failure and discomfort? Cause you know, happens everywhere, happens all the time. But I feel like there's, YouTube is filled with people who are like, oh, get over it, get it. But it's like, how? Everyone knows they should get over failure, but the important question is how do you do it? Yeah. I think this is actually something that's like a great question. Ray Dalio, uh, a famous author, famous investor, and famous legit person, uh, in his book Principles and like in his video series as well, he's mentioned like a sort of like thought process that you can approach failure with and developing anti-fragility, right? So first, like when you have like sort of like that failure, like take a step back and like don't react like right away and just like allow yourself to process it. Like give yourself like a set amount of time. Like just like that set amount of time like isn't like confined. Uh, it doesn't have to like be mandatory like just for you to like, carry out on but just like say like maybe it's like try to take a step back and give yourself like, maybe a few hours to think or like whatnot like even just like a, even like a half an hour or whatnot depending on like, how big the failure is or whatever it is and then like try to analyze specifically like what went wrong or like what you can really take yeah. away from it or like the core principles and lessons that you can extract from it and then like once you have that sort of taken care of or like try to figure out like what you can do to mitigate it in the future and then like leverage that. I think that's essentially like you have a formula, you have everything that you can get from it. And any like any mulling or like dwelling on top of that is just, it doesn't really help you, right? Yeah. It doesn't like serve your purpose. And in some cases like what you're feeling is like valid, right? And you could be just feeling a lot of negative emotions and could be just like, unwell. Um, and like depending on what it is, what failure it is, like it just might take some time like to get over it like properly, right? And like it's definitely dependent on a like, case by case basis. But it's just like about like trying to be really kind to yourself and sort of like not allow your thoughts to overtake you and dominate you and be kind to yourself and try to like reflect and then also leverage that to then supercharge yourself in the yeah. future. That's essentially like my whole sort of formula that I've been operating under. And I think like Ray Dalio is just like a super legit person that you can look up to and like sort of look deeper into as well and then see if you can like extract more value from him himself. Yeah. I was reading um, David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me. And first of all, if you guys haven't read that, like that, I think that book, there's a lot of books that, you know, it'll change your life. But if you do the shit that's in that book, I promise you that there is an entire world out there that you haven't seen. But I think uh, the reason I bring that up is because I think the military has this thing called action reports. And the entire point is that once you've done a mission, regardless of whether it's success, being successful or uh, like a failure, you break down everything that happened. You break down three things. What went wrong, what went right, and how you can fix it for the future, right? And it's interesting how in, even in every failure, there's always things that went right, right? Like an example of this, for example, um, like this in particular was re with regards to AI, right? So I was kind of failing, you know, didn't really achieve anything for a long time. So even in that, there are things that went right. The fact that AI started earlier that, that was probably a good thing because it allowed me more time to get better. And the fact that I found courses online, you know, I did that thing, I was being proactive. Yeah, that's cool too. And then as for the stuff that didn't go right, 
was the fact that I was putting in time, but I didn't put time into the skills, I was putting time into the course. And that can count as numerous things, right? Some, it's not necessary that things in the course are valuable in the real world. And then the third step, if you take that, it's like, okay, how can I make this better? It's not, it doesn't turn out to be something extreme like stop doing all courses, oh my God. It's take the concepts and the most valuable things and learn how to do them by doing. Like do the stuff that you want to achieve. That if you want to get really good at AI, then start building models, start doing insane things in the field. And I think that's really what takes you forward in any field, right? It's to use like, and it's interesting how we know what we should be, what we should be doing. Like, it's like your mind has like an internal compass, like, okay, I know I should be doing that, but I'm going to do this. And whenever you ask someone else for advice, like, Hey, can you help me with this? Uh, I have this problem. Can you help it? And it's just like, you know, intrinsically the solution to that problem. It's just that it's hard and you need some sort of validation to get you over that like block, right? It's like resistance is the compass towards like something greater. It's like an accompaniment to the map of your dreams. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess to wrap this all up, I just have like one more question. If there was one thing that you think changed your life and helps you embrace failure, what would it be? And what do you think the audience can take away from that? Yeah, man, like, I think that would just like bounce that question right back to you as well. In my mind though, I think something that's been the biggest sort of lesson that's really helped me embrace failure is that like, okay, the, the thought process is like, okay, like everyone can be like, okay, I love failure. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you actually like experience it until you actually like go through it. There's no way that like failure sucks. Like nobody likes failure, yeah. right? Like nobody likes like that sucky feeling and like likes that sort of depressing sort of vibe. But I think like once again, like that sort of Ray Dalio's sort of principles and like methodologies that he uses to approach that unhealed fragility aspect and like like bouncing back from failure. I think that's the most valuable sort of formula you can take away and then apply. That's it. One hundred and ten percent. And those who embrace failure stand out. That's, and it's interesting. Like people are like, I need to be so special to be successful. And it's like, no, you don't. If you have the slightest bit of awareness that hey failure is good and I'm going to go seek discovery. If you have that, and even if you like hear this and you're like, I don't, but you decide to cultivate it. The end thing is that it's a completely a choice. Like everyone has the power to become the best version of themselves, but, and how they do it is obviously going to be different for the individual, but the basic underlying principles are the same. And over the next couple of episodes on this podcast, we're going to see if we can break down those principles and, you know, help you guys get to the best version of yourselves that you guys can possibly be. And yeah, thanks so much, Kevin, for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And this has been an excellent conversation. Yep. See ya. See ya.